In my 44 years of parish ministry, without question, the very worst suffering I've witnessed is watching parents cope with the devastating death of a child. There's something which seems so unnatural about a young child's death. At the same time, I think the anguish and suffering of parents is a reality no matter what age the child may be. Four quick examples. I watched my own parents struggle and suffer terribly as we all witnessed my younger brother, Casey, succumb to cancer at age 30. He worked in the Santa Cruz Mountains as a tree faller and then had his own flourishing tree trimming business. He was happily married and had a son, Carrie, who was just five years old when Casey died. Either of my parents would have gladly traded places with Casey so that he might live to watch Carrie grow up, enjoy life with his wife, Jackie, and his many friends, and continue his life's pilgrimage. But sadly, it was not to be. And when I think of a parent's grief due to a child's death, a very aged parishioner comes to mind from a former congregation. She had already celebrated her 100th birthday and was upbeat, cheerful, alert, and a delight to visit in the nursing home where she resided. However, when her only son died in his upper 70s, her countenance and whole attitude toward life radically changed. Like a beautiful window which was shattered, she became depressed as she mourned his death. He'd been very attentive to her, and though he lived out of town, he faithfully drove to visit her regularly. But beyond that, even though he lived to be almost 80 years old, she had no enthusiasm for life once her beloved son had died. In the case of President Abraham Lincoln and his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, they suffered through the deaths of two of their young sons, Eddie at age three and a half, and later their beloved Willie at age 11, when the Lincoln family lived in the White House. Willie was a happy, studious, religious boy who enthralled both children and adults. His mother sat up with him all night as he lay ill, but on February 20, 1862, at 5 p.m., little Willie died. His mother crumpled in a seizure of sobbing. She was inconsolable after the death of a second son and never again entered the room where he died. President Lincoln also felt the loss of his son deeply. He walked down the hall to his secretary's office and choking with emotion said, well, Nicolay, my boy is gone, actually gone. And then he burst into tears and went into his own office. Recently, President-elect Joe Biden departed his adopted, uh, departed his adopted state of Delaware as he left for the White House. He gave that goodbye at the Major Joseph R. Bo Biden III National Guard Reserve Center in Newcastle. In that context, naturally, the death of his son Bo came to mind. Bo served in the U.S. military and then as Attorney General for the state of Delaware and had a promising career before his life was cut short by cancer. Saying that goodbye to his adopted state, Biden repeatedly broke down, tears streaming down his cheeks. And after expressing his heartfelt connection with Delaware amidst his tears, he said, I'm even more proud to be standing here doing this from the major Bo Biden facility. I have only one regret. He's not here. Because we should be introducing him as president. I know some of you have endured this tragic loss in your own lives. So you have firsthand experience with the grief caused by the death of a child. 
In today's text, we meet Jairus, whom Mark identifies as the leader of the synagogue in Capernaum, the little village on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He is sick with worry because his 12-year-old daughter is gravely ill, and knowing Jesus' fame as a healer, he seeks Jesus' help to heal his daughter. In the passage that Leslie Van Dordrick is about to read for us, two healings are intertwined, or to be more specific, one healing is sandwiched in between another. While both healings are wonderful and amazing, I want to focus our attention today on the healing of Jairus' daughter, who appears to be dying. We learn later that this girl is 12 years of age, which according to Jewish custom in the Talmud is the age when adulthood begins for girls. So with her whole adult life ahead of her, with lots of promise and possibility, now it seems her life may be tragically cut short. Well, with that introduction, let's hear our text from Mark chapter 5 as Leslie Van Dordrick reads for us. To begin with, in our text, Mark introduces us to Jairus, the leader of the synagogue at Capernaum. Now, the ruler, the leader, or president, uh, of this local worshiping community was not a professionally trained scribe or rabbi, but a lay member who was entrusted by the elders of the community with general oversight of the synagogue. And that person oversaw building maintenance, the procuring of scrolls for scripture reading, arranging of Sabbath worship, and those who would lead it. It was in this same synagogue in Capernaum, Peter's hometown, that Jesus had earlier caused controversy by daring to heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. So it took courage and humility for Jairus, this leader, to publicly fall at Jesus' feet and beg for his help. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so she may be made well. Jairus trusts that Jesus has the power to heal. It is likely in Capernaum that Jairus has already witnessed many of Jesus' healings. Now, many rationalist scholars have long assumed that miracles simply do not occur. Remember the Bible published by President Thomas Jefferson. The Jeffersonian Bible edited out all miracles. Now, in recent years, it's heartwarming and encouraging to know that more and more biblical scholars have come to accept the fact that Jesus was indeed an effective healer. Even opponents of early Christianity admit Jesus could heal. Justin Martyr, an early second century Christian leader in his dialogue with Trypho, pauses to express the common Jewish view that Jesus healed by the use of magic arts, that he was, quote, a Galilean magician. Celsus, a second century philosopher and opponent of Christianity, wrote from a Greco-Roman viewpoint to debunk both Judaism and Christianity. He began his assault by saying that Jesus did his miracles by secret magical arts. So whether attacked by Jewish or Gentile opponents, those early critics of our faith could not deny the reality of Jesus healing miracles. The worst they could do was suggest that he did so by using magic rather than the power of God. Back to our story. Responding to Jesus' request, Jesus and his disciples and probably a large crowd of bystanders hurriedly walk toward Jairus' home. They're like an ambulance speeding toward the patient in need of emergency health care. Now, as a leader, Jairus' own agenda is to facilitate his daughter's healing. 
He wants to manage and control the whole situation, including, of course, a positive outcome. Here's where the unexpected occurs. A woman who had a vaginal hemorrhage for 12 long years sought to be healed as well. Her simple faith bordered on superstition as she reasoned, if I can just touch his robe, I will be made well. It happened just as she had hoped. She, amidst this crowd, did manage to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. But then to her shock, surprise, and dismay, as well as that of Jairus, Jesus stopped cold in his tracks and asked, who touched me? And a whole conversation emerges as Jesus assures her in the end, your faith has made you well. Put yourself for a minute in the place of Jairus, the little girl's parent. Jesus is making his way quickly toward Jairus's critically dull, critically ill daughter. So his plan is coming to fulfillment when suddenly Jesus stops to converse with this woman. I can just hear him moan, not now. My daughter is near death. You can stop and talk later with this woman. Don't do it now. Jairus was undoubtedly both frustrated and perhaps even livid with anger that Jesus stopped. And then after he does stop and deals with this woman with the hemorrhaging problem, comes the awful message from Jairus's home. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jairus' worst nightmare has now come true. Jesus' delay in reaching Jairus's home has cost the death of Jairus's daughter. His conversation with the woman he healed has tragically prevented Jesus from arriving on time to save the daughter from death. Now, focusing like a laser on Jairus, Jesus commands, do not fear, only believe. His command, only believe, is the present active imperative, meaning a command to keep on believing, to continue trusting that Jesus can fully restore his daughter's health. Jairus may be thinking, my daughter is dead. What good is belief now? Or perhaps he clung to Jesus' words and continued to trust. Mark doesn't tell us. What he does say is that after reaching the home of Jairus, Jesus addressed the mourners inside the home who surrounded the dead girl. Some were likely professional mourners and had already gathered to weep and to wail. He told them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. In other words, her temporary experience of physical death will be so short, it will seem as though she has only taken a nap. Jesus put the mourners outside and was left inside the home with only Jairus and his wife and three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. He then took the little girl by the hand, as he often does when he heals, and said in Aramaic, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately she got up and began to walk. Friends, Jesus' words to Jairus have proven true. Do not fear, only believe. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, renders the key verb, just trust me. As I mentioned, it's command to continue believing, continue trusting in Jesus. And in context, of course, it means trusting Jesus has the power to restore the life of Jairus's daughter, even though she has died. This isn't simply a naive wish that all will be well. It means rather that in the midst of life's storms and struggles, we're not to be fearful, but to trust in the goodness and the power of Christ Jesus. 
who is the great physician. Some of the storms and struggles we experience in life may be health-related, as with the current pandemic. Others may be literal firestorms. Many of you know a lot about that. Or economic storms, or relational storms, or even political storms. But in the midst of life, with all its chaos and challenge and struggle, our shelter, our hope, our healing, and finally our home are all to be found in the person of Christ Jesus. It is that reality Jairus and his daughter experienced. What concerns, anxieties, and worries burden you at present? As you seek God's guidance and comfort and reassurance, remember Jesus' words to Jairus. Do not fear. Just trust me. Amen.